This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon, everyone, and a very warm welcome to our meeting. Men and women of faith, and in particular, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament example of Gideon. This has been part of a series, hasn't it, when we've been looking at characters of faith. And faith is obviously a very important aspect of understanding the Bible message to us. So what I propose to do is we'll take a very uh, short revisit of the definition of faith, which we can bear in mind as we proceed this afternoon. So Hebrews 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So some translations will say that this substance is an assurance Faith is a support. That's what's indicated in this word. It's something that supports, not just a helping support, but an essential foundational support. And without it, all edifices and all buildings would collapse without that particular support. Everything else would collapse. So from a Bible point of view, then, we are being told that faith is absolutely crucial. It's absolutely essential that a Bible believer develops faith. Secondly, so we can see from the uh, epistle of James, so faith by itself, says James, if it has no works, is dead. So that's a very important statement, isn't it? Faith without works is dead. So these two things, according to the Bible, must take place together. He he teaches us that faith has to be demonstrated by what we do. Uh, It's not just the belief of a doctrine on its own. Um, We demonstrate our faith by our works. He says that if we live our lives not being directed by what we understand and believe from his word, then our so-called faith is not faith at all. It is dead. One uh, writer, some of you might uh, have come across this quote, it's it's a Christadelphian writer, expressed faith this way. Faith acts upon revealed requirements. And so as we become more familiar with reading our Bibles, then we understand what God expects his children to do. Um, and therefore we act upon it. It's no good just knowing it, but living the same life. We actually have to put our belief into action. And, and that's what's uh, meant by this statement. Quick few statements are concerning faith. So back to Hebrews 11.6, we say, and without faith it is impossible to please him, that is God. Uh, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So again, it's sort of emphasising the importance of faith for a believer in God and a believer of of the scriptures. um, Saying that without it, it is absolutely impossible 
to, to please God. And of course, for those who do believe the scriptures and do believe in God, then it, it is their intention to please God. And if that is their intention, then we need to be able to understand and to develop um, this concept of faith. So we'll look at four little statements. That's the first of four little statements. Um, this, the second one then helps us to understand how we develop faith. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I remember having a conversation a long time ago um, with a friend and they said, well, I really want faith, but how do you get it? But the answer is so easy, isn't it? The answer is absolutely so easy. It's read the scriptures, read the Bible. And by that, if we continue that process, then we will develop faith. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us in the epistle to the Romans. By a careful and prayerful reading of his inspired word. Hebrews 10 verse 38 says, Now the just, uh, those who are counted righteous, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, uh, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So once we're on that road to endeavouring to, to please God, then there's no turning back. We want to just move forward, don't we? Because if we turn back, we cannot please God. Moving forward in our understanding, in putting in action the things of God, then that is living by faith. And that's what we are told we need to do. For those who are interested in looking at Greek words, it's an interesting point that in the New Testament, the word believe and the word faith actually come basically the same word. Believe is the verb to believe something and faith is the noun. Uh, but in the English language, we can't normally say, I, I faithed it. it. It doesn't make sense in our language, does it? So we say, I believed it. But there is an important point associated with that, because when we say we believe something, the scripture is telling us, you don't really believe it until you put it into practice, until you actually let the word of God direct the actions of your life then you believe it that's it's a total belief it's not a partial belief in understanding it and knowing it it's putting it into practice so that's an interesting point for those people who are interested in the the words that we have there so why think about Gideon then uh, it was a long time ago wasn't it uh, and, and the old testament scriptures are they still relevant to us well we believe that they are don't we 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11 says, Now all these things, and he's referring to the, the lives that are recorded for us in the Old Testament. Paul says, Now all these things happened to them, all these characters of faith, as examples. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So we are being advised here that when we look at the Old Testament scriptures and the things that are written there, that there are lessons for us to learn. And, and that's important for us. So that's a good reason why we need to look at Gideon as just one of them. His name is also very specifically mentioned in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 and verse 32, where it says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. There are so many characters in the Old Testament and all of them, um, men and women of faith can give us examples. 
So Gideon here is listed um, among all the faithful mentioned in this chapter 11 of Hebrews, although the, the writer says there's no time to give any details of Gideon and how he showed his faith, but this is what we hope to do this afternoon. So what about the book of Judges? Because this is where we encounter the, the, the character of, of Gideon. Well, let's just think about its position in the, uh, the scriptures, in the Bible. The context is, you know, we think back to the Exodus, when uh, God appoints Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt and, and out of bondage. And then Joshua succeeds Moses and leads the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, into the promised land. And then after Joshua dies, Israel enters the period of the judges. So that's where we are, sort of historically speaking. And we believe that the book covers approximately about 450 years before Israel had kings um, and after they'd settled themselves in the land in the days of Joshua. And the, the book of Judges demonstrates a basic Bible principle and a, and a very important lesson. So what is that basic principle and very important lesson? And here it is. Sin brings suffering, whilst supplication brings salvation. And we encounter this all the way through the book of Judges. It's all about what happened to God's people Israel in the land and how that they went wayward. They did not obey all the time God's commandments. They thought they knew better and they went their own way. There is an expression in the book of Judges that says every man did that which was right in his own eyes instead of that which is right in God's eyes. And so sin, which is sort of deviating and breaking the commandments of God, brings suffering. God, God punished them for this. He brought punishments upon his people because they had a responsibility. They were in a covenant relationship with God. And if they broke his commandments and consistently went away as a nation, then God said he would bring curses um, and suffering upon them. But those punishments were designed to bring Israel, his people, back. Bring back to their senses. That's what they were designed to do. So when they became and they realised uh, their sins and they wanted to return to God then they would make supplication. And, and, and supplication is a, a, a very interesting word. I'll put it up there, really, to help us. It's not just to ask God for forgiveness um, and salvation. It's more than that. It's to ask earnestly. Now, to really come to their senses, to understand their predicament, and that without God's help, they will continue to suffer these um, punishments that God brings upon them by the nations around about them. They should have cast out in the first place. So it's to ask earnestly for help with the right attitude, with humility. And salvation is to be forgiven our sins and saved from the power of death. Um, and eventually, by God's grace, to be given everlasting life or eternal life. So God's people, we read about them sinning and, and disobeying God's commandment. And then experiencing the suffering associated with that. God brings his punishments on them. And then after a period of time, they say, 
we should turn back to God. If we don't do anything, we are going to be completely destroyed, in this case by the Midianites. And so they ask God um, for help. Spiritual lesson. Spiritual failure comes through spiritual compromise. You see, when, when God made the covenant with his people Israel, they were told to make no covenants with the nations around about them. Make no league, make no um, covenants with the nations around about them. They were to be separate, not to worship their gods because the nations around about were involved in all sorts of terrible practices and immoralities uh, associated with their worship of idols because they, the gods that they worshipped were indeed idols made of wood, stone and so on and not the one true living God. And Israel wanted, unfortunately, to be like the nations around about them. So they compromised what God had spoken to them and they departed from God's ways. But that was their sin. That was their sin. And that's why God brought punishments upon them. So there's a lesson for us to think about uh, in the story of Gideon, but in also the other stories of, concerning the other judges if you've got your Bibles there, you can quickly have a look at this one, but it's on the screen there in Judges chapter 2. And the first two verses sums up the situation for us. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swear to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars... But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? We see God's reasoning. He's reminding his people here and saying, look, I brought you out of Egypt. I saved you. You saw what happened to Pharaoh and his armies drowned in the, the Red Sea. I provided for you through that long wilderness journey. You had food. You had water. You had clothes that did not wear out. He says, I gave you all those things. He says, but why have you departed from me? He says, I am the living God. I gave you all these things. He says, but you've not obeyed my voice. You haven't cast down their altars and you've started to worship these false gods. So there we see Israel making this uh, spiritual compromise, uh, which gave them, as it were, spiritual failure and brought upon them God's judgments and punishments they needed to be separate from the nations around about but they didn't want to do that they wanted to be like the nations around about and that was a grave mistake so we come then to um, chapter 6 specifically if you've got your Bibles open we're going to read a few verses from there to remind ourselves of what's going on that first verse then and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord uh, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years so we read of Israel doing uh, evil again and then the punishments as we've just been talking about are described in verse 2 to 6 the Midianites um, prevailed against Israel in verse 2. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them uh, dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. They were driven out their villages, driven out their cities. Uh, and when, it, when Israel had sown, they'd sown their grain to grow 
for making the bread and so on, the wheat and the corn, that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till they come to Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. Both they and their camels were without number. And they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. That idea of being impoverished um, means to be feeble. Israel as a nation was made feeble because everything that they had was taken away from them. Every time they tried to grow some, uh, some wheat to create some bread so that they could eat, it was taken away from them. And this was a real problem. And, and, and so they, they indeed suffered greatly because of this and then we see this process you know they'd sinned and they'd suffered and here in verse sixes and seven six and seven um we see israel asking god for help so here's the the supplication that the second part of verse six and the children of israel cried unto the lord And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel. So here's the supplication and they're asking God. They're sort of brought to their knees, brought to the realisation, brought to their senses once more. Um, and, And in response, God sent a prophet to Israel and then also Gideon as we encounter Uh, here as well so God sends his prophet to the people and we notice what the prophet says in uh, written in the latter part of verse 8 and 9 he reminds them once again like we saw at the beginning of Joshua chapter 2 he reminds them about the deliverance that God had given them from Egypt he said you need to remember these things if you keep this in your consciousness then you will be um, obedient to the living God you see at the end of verse 10 the same phrase as we encountered before, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And this is the basic cause of their suffering, because they did not obey the, um, the commandment of the, the living God. So Gideon then is the fifth judge and is raised up by God to deliver Israel from their enemies. Uh, in this case, like we say, the, the Midianites. Have a look at verse 11 when we were introduced to this character of Gideon. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valour. So we see then that Gideon, he, he wasn't, uh, he was suffering the same way as everybody else. Although he's described in the scriptures as a man of faith, he was suffering the consequences of the sin of the nation. He was trying to thresh his wheat in a secret place so that the Midianites did not know, so that he would have food for himself and his family. And, and we see then that uh, the Lord's says thou mighty man of valour his name means hewer down and, and by implication we're told uh, mighty warrior 
And we're going to bear that in mind because what happens in the account and the record of um, what Gideon gets up to is quite relevant. So it's a hewer down and implied he is a mighty warrior. And then in verse 12, uh, God tells him through the angel, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said to him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And that's the first time he's told that. And, and that's very important for Gideon to, to understand. I, I want us to perhaps please to remember what Hebrews 11 and verse 1 told us about faith and how that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen so here Gideon is being given some evidence he's being given an assurance isn't he here's the substance he's being given an assurance that the Lord is with you and before he, he tackles these Midianites and before he does any acts of um, substantial faith should we say and I shouldn't have said that. I want to come back to that in a minute. But before we see any specific acts recorded here, we need to understand that he, he needs that assurance, doesn't he? The Lord is with you. Thou mighty man of valour. The, the idea behind this word valour is strong, but it can also mean wealthy. Uh, it's translated as an army and, and virtuous. Uh, in actual fact... It's, it's also applied to the character of Ruth. When she's described as a virtuous woman, then it's the same idea. It's the same word in the Hebrew. So here, um, Gideon is a mighty man of valour, and we think of the warrior aspect, we think of courage. But in actual fact, it's talking more about your character, about your strength of character, um, you're having a virtuous character. It's talking about wealthy. Uh, sometimes it means just wealthy, lots of money and being rich. But in scriptural terms here, when it's applied to our characters, then it's saying that we are wealthy in our attitude towards God. We are rich towards God. It's not talking about how much money we have in the bank. Um, turn with me, please. Uh, I'm going to turn this one. I'm going to put a marker in Judges chapter 6, and I'd like you to come with me to James, the epistle to James in chapter 2, because there's like a relevant scripture that ties in with this that we can think about. James chapter 2 and, and verse 5 says there, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him you see we've got these ideas coming together haven't we rich but not rich in worldly riches but rather what's more important in God's sight is to be rich in faith and this is a good description of the, the character of Gideon as well as other characters in the scriptures in the verse 14 back in our chapter, uh, chapter 6, Gideon receives his commission, his task from God. He says there in verse 14, The Lord looked upon him and says, Go within this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? So that is telling Gideon, yes, I have sent you. It's like what we call a rhetorical question, is it? Have not I sent thee? The answer is yes, God has sent me. So Gideon is being prepared, isn't he? He is being given assurances to build his faith 
up. And, and this, of course, took strength of character. Um, because as we see, what he had to do necessitated a high level of faith. Um, Gideon believed God. And bear in mind what we said before about certainly in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, um, the, the words are very, very linked together, very similar. Not identical, but very similar. The New Testament ones are basically the same word. So Gideon believed God. He faithed God. He was prepared to actually put into action what he believed. And he'd heard a couple of times here, the Lord is with you, verse 16, surely I will be with you. So this is a wonderful personal assurance. So in humility, he asked for a sign. And we can, we can see that in verse 21 and 22 of Judges 6. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes that Gideon had brought to him. And there arose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived, because he wasn't sure up to that point, when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord's face to face. But the Lord gave him another assurance, uh, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. So he was given this sign, wasn't he? Um, so again, he's being built up in his faith. He's being given evidence. He's being given assurances that God will be with him. And that, like we said from Hebrews chapter 11, is, is what faith is made of. We are being given, it's not what we call a blind faith. It, it's tangible evidence that we can appreciate. It's reasonable to believe. It's not just guesswork. And, and so Gideon is not asked to do something before he has been given personal assurances and this evidence. And he had the right attitude, you see. The passage we went to in James said that God chooses the poor of this world. And, and here, back in uh, Judges 6, he asks, doesn't he, if you come down just to illustrate this point in verse 15, he, he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewithal shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least of my brethren. Here's an indication of the man's attitude. He, he, he had a humility of spirit, didn't he? And, and when he asked for the sign, he's saying, If I have found favour and grace in thy sight, then show me a sign. So he had the right attitude. Poor in the things of this world, yes, but rich in faith. So he was being given that support, that substance of faith, and Gideon believed. And then if we come down to verse 25 to 27, I know we've taken a little bit of time getting there, but here is the centre of his, his illustration of his task that is being given by God and then followed with the works that he actually puts into practice. Let's read uh, verse 25 to 27. And it came to pass the same night... That the Lord said to him, Gideon, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock, 
of seven years old and throw down the altar of Baal, which was the god of the, uh, the, the lands around about them, that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of his rock, this rock in the ordered place. And take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants, and notice this, and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and the men of the city that he could not do it by day that he did it by night so Gideon believed God he'd been given assurance he'd been given this support and this substance he'd seen a sign so he generated he'd he'd got this um, faith as we said before then faith comes by hearing the word in Gideon's case he got this direct from an angel but it was still God's word being given to him by an angel and the signs that he had seen now we must make sure that we don't underestimate what follows here and what Gideon does in response to the task that the almighty has given to him Gideon did as the Lord had said so this is in complete contrast with earlier on when we read about Israel who had not obeyed the Lord You see, Gideon lived in this environment when the vast majority of the people around about him, including his own household, including his own father, had become what we call apostate. They'd started to worship false gods, in particular Baal, as it is recorded here. Um, But in Gideon's case, he obeyed God. Notice what we just read there in verse 25. It's thy father's young bullock. Now, you just have to think about this, don't you? But no permission was sought or given by his father. God said, do it. And he did it. That was his faith. He was putting it into practice. Normally, I'm sure that the young man would approach his father and say, hey, dad, is it okay if I use your your bullock for this sacrifice that I've got to the Lord? But no, it's not recorded here, is it? No permission sought or given. So he takes his father's young bullock. Notice this, also in verse 25, that it was the altar of Baal that thy father hath. You know, it's so much more difficult if we put ourselves in Gideon's shoes just for a minute, if we possibly can, to to act in this way in your own household. You are potentially setting yourself against your own father. To say that this would have been uncomfortable is is too mild, too mild an expression. He's setting himself against his own father. His own father would be, his his household was like the headquarters of this apostate worship of Baal. It was like the headquarters of what was going on, as well as all the men in the city, as as we read of here. And, And Gideon now, on the strength of what he has been told, surely I will be with thee. And on the strength of the sign and the the, the evidence that he's been given of the fire coming out of the rock, he is willing to be obedient to the heavenly father. The altar of Baal that thy father hath. But he was a man. He feared his father's household. 
he had he felt you know he must have felt really difficult on the inside there he was, his stomach was probably doing somersaults wasn't it he was a man he feared his father's household so his father and his brothers they were all worshippers of Baal and he'd been told to go and destroy the altar of Baal in his own father's backyard and use his own bullock get his father's bullock for the sacrifice he had good reason to be feared to be fearful he feared his father's household and the men of the city so here uh, Gideon is stepping out we might say in faith as a mighty warrior fulfilling his name cutting down remember his name meant hewer down and he was cutting down uh, these uh, this altar and the the grove which was the trees around about but often the suggestion is that these trees would have been made into idols yeah uh, of the uh, Baal had an accomplice his female accomplice Ashtarah and, and they would make the idols out of these trees and, and, and Gideon would be cutting them down so he was fulfilling his name a hewer down here he was hewing down idols and despite his personal fears and family ties Gideon believed that God was with him and he demonstrated great faith in a crucial start to a national religious reformation that was necessary before he could save Israel from the Midianites. And let's just develop perhaps this point a little bit more from the, the New Testament. Slight digression, but I think it's relevant. Jesus' words here in the, the Gospel of Matthew and, and chapter 10, Jesus says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more is not worthy of me. Now, although Jesus speaks these words uh, hundreds of years later on, nevertheless, we can see the truth of what he's saying illustrated and demonstrated in the life and actions of Gideon. We know, don't we, from our own experience, natural family ties and bonds are strong. And it is a Bible precept that we are to honour our parents. However... When the truth of the gospel is believed, then we have a stronger allegiance than to our natural family or country. We are purchased with the precious blood of the Lamb of God and are no longer our own, but are required to love our God with our whole heart, soul, mind and strength. And, and Jesus' words in Matthew 6 express the same truth uh, as the words that we've just seen here when Jesus says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness it's a matter of putting God first and being obedient to God even if on occasions it means going against our families this is the level of allegiance that Jesus um, is requiring of his disciples this requires faith not just a one-off act but rather in every action in small and great decisions every day expressing and demonstrating our faith in our saviour uh, the Lord Jesus this is how the just shall live by faith as we noted earlier in the record in verse uh, 28 there's a real reaction in the morning I mean, this has all happened in night in verse 28 and 
When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar. They'd seen what had happened here. Um, And so in verse 29, And they said one to another, Who hath done this thing? It's a terrible thing in their eyes. Who hath done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. So um, a real reaction. (laughs) And the answer is that Gideon had done this thing. And uh, we we see what they want in in verse 30. We read on. Then the men of the city said to Joash, which is Gideon's father, uh, remember headquarters of the apostate, worshippers of Baal bring out thy son they say they demanded bring out thy son that he may die because he hath cast down the altar of Baal and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it so this is what we call summary justice isn't it there was no trial here they didn't offer him a trial they didn't call up a number of witnesses to uh, apparently there was nobody there to um, to see this but think about it can you see the implications here? They seem to, we would call it, jump to a conclusion. They got the right conclusion, didn't they? They got the right man. But you see, they knew Gideon. Gideon's character and opposition to Baal worship was uh, an evil was, was known to them all. It was known to his father and to his brothers and to the men of the city. The men of the city knew there was only one man that could and would do this thing. Gideon. So here is evidence again of Gideon's valour. A man of valour, a mighty warrior, strength of character in the face of mortal danger from his own family and the men of his city. It was his virtuous character, his faith. He had maintained his belief and faith in God despite being in a family and in a nation that had departed from and broken God's covenant. This is why God addresses him back in chapter 6 and verse 12 as you mighty man of valour. And that was even before he had engaged in any battles with the Midianites. If we read in verse 31 we can see how his father responds now this is very interesting but bearing in mind that it would appear that Joash up to this point was a supporter and a worshipper of Baal having the um, the altar in his own backyard as it were verse 31 and Joash replied to all the men of the city that stood against him and said to them will ye plead for Baal will ye save him will ye save him he that will plead for him let him be put to death whilst it is yet morning if he be a god says Joash let him plead for himself gods are supposed to be powerful aren't they because one hath cast down his altar so that was his reply he's sort of obviously got a natural affinity with his son to a certain extent because Gideon was his son he didn't really want him to die did he for this but also in his own mind he's probably got his doubts and thinking well perhaps uh, yeah it's time to go back and to worship the true god the almighty god and that baal if he is a god let him sort it out let him take gideon to task and destroy him if he has any real power but of course what did baal do 
Nothing. Why? Because he was just a lump of wood or stone or metal, whatever it was. He, he was just an object. He, he wasn't a god at all. So Josh's words as a previous worshipper of Baal carry some weight and authority with the men of the city. And so Gideon survives the day. Yahweh, the God of Israel, has supported him. And the wonderful thing is here, like often in the scriptures, we find that the names of these characters are very relevant to what's happening in the text, in the record. And, and Joash means Yahweh supports. Yahweh supports. So God has helped, he has supported um, his servant Gideon through his own father, who now has turned away from being a Baal worshipper um, and supports him and says, look, I'm not bringing him out here so that you can kill him. If Baal is of any consequence or he's a real God and he's got his own power, then let Baal sort it out. And of course he didn't, did he? Verse 32 goes on in our text there. Therefore on that day he called him another name. He called him Jeroboam, saying, let Baal plead against him because he hath thrown down his altar. And again, this is something that happens in the scriptures. Sometimes individuals get another name, either change their name or it's an additional name. In this case, it's like an additional name. And so Joash, his father gives Gideon this other name Jeroboam and, and the, the dictionary tells us that the meaning of that name is contender with Baal contender with Baal and this is very significant you see because uh, Gideon had taken up the gauntlet here he'd, he'd gone out and, and taken the challenge and he was being obedient to the heavenly father to the almighty in, in cutting down this altar and building an altar to Yahweh the Israel uh, the God of Israel he'd gone out on a limb as we might say but he was convinced because he was faithful he'd got and developed that faith that God had given him the assurance and the support um, and so he was willing to be obedient to the heavenly father and so Joash gives his son this other name Jeroboam contender with Baal so we remember how these characters are recorded for our learning and for our example those who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ must also contend with the gods of this world it's different in our day and age isn't it we don't sort of see people bowing down and worshipping to um, idols of stone or or wood and so on but gods of this world take a different form and and that's where i just start to bring things to a conclusion because it reminded me of this reference of uh, the apostle paul in 2 corinthians the god of this world and even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, uh, it is veiled only to those who are perishing, they're dying, because they haven't accepted the gospel. In their case, says Paul, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God. So, we would say um, that in our modern day and age, we're too sophisticated, aren't we, to believe in Baal or any carved image and idol, aren't we? And yet I do believe that there are some people who still engage in some very suspect activities these days.
We are too scientific to believe in superstition like they did then, aren't we? But unfortunately, there are still some people who are willing to engage in rather strange, um, terrible practices and, and in the name of religion. But there are other gods of our day and age, our time, which people do believe in and trust in. We're just naming just a few. Money, position, careers, hobbies, holidays and many, many more. They can all become our modern day gods, receiving our devotion, our time and effectively our worship to the exclusion and the neglecting of the one true living God, the God of Israel. So, everyone, the time was long ago in Gideon's day. The principles, however, remain true. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It was true for Gideon and it is true for us now. Gideon is a wonderful example for us to follow. The just shall live by faith, even in our day and generation too. And if we believe that God exists and is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, like Hebrews 11:6 told us, then by God's grace we shall receive that reward along with Gideon and all the faithful when our Lord returns to establish his kingdom upon the earth. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.